care for all Your bros can suck my balls Fuck your reply guys Please don't fuck your reply guys Just listen to reply guys Hello and welcome back to Reply Guys I am Kate The socialist comedy podcast for everyone. I just cut you. <laughs> oh my god! I just, wow, we took it's been one a while. We took one week off and we forgot yeah. how to do it. How are you? Exactly. Yeah, that that was Kate Willett speaking, and now this is Mohamed Al Sheikhi, a different person than Kate. Yeah. How are you? How's it going? I am. I am good. I am. I am. I am okay. Just you know, living, and I'm just happy summer is over. Uh, do you feel like kind of it's i feel like kind we have of. a little bit more summer right i think maybe like a few more weeks of summer but it's kind of like you know i feel like there's a concession happening now summer is like okay i'm letting go i'm giving you a few cool days yeah uh, it's it hasn't been that hot it's been like in the 80s right yeah which is uh if you think about it say saying 80s is is not that hot <laughs> says so much about the summer I know, I know. It's oh man. So we're we're like entering. The, I I think this fall we enter like the full on campaign season for at least for Republicans. Don't you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we already had the uh, we already had the debate, uh, which I don't know if you've seen. It was it was it was the same, the same as every like four years. It's always the same lineup, you know, like two mayors a governor and then like a woman obviously and then a guy who's a businessman and chris christie of course so okay tell me like give me some highlights because i i did see some online but i mostly yeah. staying out of it because i figured just trump's gonna be the candidate that's that's the way it goes so yeah speaking of that so they asked him during the debate or they were like okay let's say that trump uh, decided to uh, run and he became the party nominee would you support him and slowly like four of them like like raised their hand really quick and then like slowly all of them started raising their hands including mike pence oh my god uh, yes but the star of this debate uh, which i wouldn't even call a star is just someone who's like who i've been introduced to the first time is uh, this guy named uh, Vivek, who's is uh, a businessman, author. You can tell that he was like a champion of his like debate team or some shit, and that's the only reason he was on the debate. He just likes to argue. Yeah. And some of the highlights about him is that obviously, other than the fact that he's like a millionaire and obviously an insane guy, uh, he has a lot of uh, very specific insane views. For example. He's a climate denier, of course, against abortion, all of the re- like regular Republican stuff. But he also has this opinion on the war between Russia and Ukraine, where he thinks that Ukraine should just give Russia what they want and give them like uh, as much as they want for Ukraine and just, you know, let it go. And he also called the pres- president of Ukraine a bully. I mean, that's a very insane opinion. I, you know, I will say that, like, you know, I, that's obviously that's a dick opinion. I will say that I, I, I do think, and I, I also hold the opinion that, like, maybe it's not a good idea for the U.S. to keep spending billions on weapons. I don't have, yeah, like, of a, course, I don't have a, a 
good solution here. But I, I will say I I do think that our president should be trying to pursue peace talks. I know that's a very cancelable opinion, but I just I don't see it as humanitarian for this uh, conflict to go on in a very exactly because way. like yeah yeah. Because like I feel like I don't because like you look at it and you're like okay is the are, are is the U.S. giving weapons to Ukraine in order to be like oh we want you to win this which I mean they want they they want that but I'm like are you also using it as a way to test more weapons? I don't uh, think it's to test more weapons. I think it's to you know try to weaken russia you know yeah like, yeah yeah because we can't have a direct conflict with them but i i don't agree that there's any time that the u.s ever gets involved in a conflict for humanitarian reasons oh absolutely um, yeah so it's, also, I, I it's think, always a proxy war yeah yeah i think that it's obviously extremely horrible that putin invaded ukraine and you know we talked about this last year when it happened i mean it's like yeah yeah, yeah. The blame falls on vladimir putin for this and i'm not equivocating about that but it's just more of a question of like you know yeah what's, what's gonna, the what's the solution what's the compromise what's the solution? yeah what's gonna save lives here you know mm -hmm. and absolutely i agree so i don't know but i mean to your point you know like the republicans are just absolutely insane and many of them are full-on like putin apologists but uh, yeah. it is concerning but, that there's yeah. no real anti-war perspective 100 percent on the you know on the democratic side you know and most of this I money agree. most of this money that we're you know that is set aside for ukraine it's, it's going to u.s weapons manufacturers so of course yeah, yeah. no i i 100 yeah also one last thing about vivek which is i thought was very funny is that he got a season this letter from eminem Oh God! Yeah, I saw him, that. that was so funny. Stop rapping Eminem songs on his on his uh, you know campaign. Which here's the thing, I bet it was that part was a fucking devastating to him because yeah. all of these like kids love Eminem and they think he's just like, and I it's like obviously Eminem has a lot of like, problematic music in the past and all of that, but I feel like his stance when it comes to Republicans was always very clear. Yeah, I mean. Vivek has said some insane shit. Um, one of the things that I saw him say on Twitter recently was like basically uh, proposing as like a, an alternative to affirmative action that we do a, a fitness test that's included as part of the SATs. <laughs> so I guess his idea is like, you know, that'll, that'll even the scales. But, you know... Um, <laughs> I just in yeah, this very with, weird nationalistic militaristic way. Which minority can do more push-ups? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Amazing. It is pretty gross. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I don't like if you look at the actual poll numbers, like even he does not stand a chance against Donald of Trump. Of course, yeah. I, I don't I mean, like I think Donald Trump is just gonna win. Like I yeah. definitely at least the primary, but maybe the general he literally election as well. Already has a campaign picture to use, which is his mugshot. It is. They're gonna run with that. Yeah, it's so fucked up. I don't know. Like, it's, yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, man, I think that like it. It seems 
like he has, you know, no political consequence for these indictments, um, you know, yeah. in terms of like support, which is to be expected. I could be wrong about that, but it, it doesn't seem like he's receiving any, uh, you know, kind of like negativity from his own base. No, absolutely. He also obviously pled not guilty to all of the charges and whatnot. But what I think is so funny during that one of the depositions, he, he said, if anything, my son Eric was way more involved than I am, which is so funny to me. He was just like, "Take Eric to jail." Yeah, yeah, and I was like, "Classic." So, before we go on to the next topic, I did want to say something, um, which is basically there is a lot of very um, horrible, like anti-homeless bigotry that we're talking, that has been happening in yes. San Francisco right now. And, mm-hmm. um, a lot of the like anti-homeless bigots and pro-police real estate interests have been going after the democratic socialists in office there, um, mm-hmm. on the board of supervisors, his name is Dean Preston. And I said that if you donated any amount to Dean Preston and you told me about it, I would, give you a personal shout out on the show. So I would like to do that. Um, I would like to shout out Clarence for Atlanta, Joshua Rudy Okoa, Damian mm-hmm. Goodman, um, St. Francis of the Sissies. And um, I think that that's everyone who told me, but yeah, mm-hmm. I know that many other people donated to Dean Preston, but anyways, if you have a few bucks, to donate to Dean's campaign. Um, you know, basically like all of these venture capitalists are really trying to spend a lot of money to take mm-hmm. him out. And from, you know, all of the like non-ghoulish DSA people that I know in San Francisco, uh, it really sounds like he has been, you know, definitely the most powerful force in, in San Francisco politics, kind of standing up to these efforts to imprison people just for being homeless um so mm-hmm. i'm hoping that yeah yeah i'm hoping that he wins they're certainly spending a lot of money too yeah that, but he seems very popular in his district so yeah oh and leonore malera also valerie ross and matt and um i think i think that's it all right Thank you so much. I Wait. really appreciate all of your donations. Um, and I know Dean does too, just to be clear, we're not affiliated with him in, in any way. This is just like something that seems personally, like I, I just personally feel emotional about what's, yeah, been yeah. what's been happening just to explain is uh, there was this injunction uh, by Mm -hmm. a judge in the Ninth Circuit of SF. And what the injunction said, and we'll talk about it in the second half of the show with a guest as well, but what the injunction said was that the city of San Francisco cannot conduct sweeps without adequate space in shelters. So basically they're saying, like, if you don't have enough shelter space, you can't sweep which is just such a disgusting term anyway it's like talking about absolutely on house people like they're talking about people yeah yeah like and you know so the judge said you can't do that and then all these people in san francisco a lot like a lot of the like multiple politicians um they and you know just regular 
kind of quote unquote moderates like yeah. rallying outside the courthouse to be mm-hmm. able to conduct these sweeps. And a lot of the venture capitalist guys were getting mad. And Elon Musk, man, this is this has got to be my oh, most yeah. uh, famous reply guy uh, situation or whatever. But basically, I tweeted about yeah um, this venture capitalist Gary Tan, who is the former mm-hmm. CEO of a venture capital company called um, Y Combinator, lit funds, you know, like startups and stuff. And let me see if I can find Elon Musk's like actual tweet. Um, but basically Elon Musk responded to Gary Tan and, oh, I need to give him a little more backstory here, which is that what yeah. Gary Tan said originally there was, there's a, a law firm, um, called Latham Watkins that is like a normal corporate law firm. They, you know, represent tech companies all the time, but they're taking a pro bono case, um, basically to, you know, say that, like homeless people have have civil rights that you know basically like the the state is not allowed to steal their stuff and conduct these sweeps and and that's that's why they um you know they won the the injunction um it was the a nonprofit i think called the coalition on homelessness that was suing them um the city of san francisco mm-hmm. and um, Gary Tan, this venture capitalist guy, um, basically yeah. he called for a boycott of this law firm um, because they took on this case, you know, like every yeah. other case they've taken on is just like not maybe not every other case, but they're, they're just like a, they're a normal corporate law firm. This isn't like yeah, yeah, yeah. W law firm. But so Elon Musk, um, the uh, the owner of our favorite website, X. <laughs> he he responds to to this and he says they want war let's give it to them we cannot let these snakes win or san francisco will end up like detroit the clincher was discovering this is actually just a tax write-off for latham not pro bono at all so you know who who does he mean by snakes i'm assuming that he means unhoused people and those who advocate for their civil rights um but so he you know he declares war on everybody and then gavin newsom who is the governor of california um tweets yesterday um Hmm. on homelessness elon musk has touched a key issue Oh, Jesus Christ. California has made record investments, 15.3 billion, but a federal court blocks local efforts to clear street encampments, even when housing and services are offered. Courts must be held accountable. Enough is enough. So, so much wrong with that. Let's kind of break it down bit by bit. First of all, Elon Musk has touched on a key issue. Elon Musk, the fucking terrible right-wing tech bro who declared war on unhoused people california has made record investments 15.3 billion okay that doesn't mean that that money is being spent effectively this doesn't mean yeah of course housing people that doesn't mean that it's enough money like california yeah if not the richest like one of the richest but probably the richest state in the united states yeah absolutely 
federal courts, uh, federal courts block local efforts to clear street encampments, even when housing and services are offered. Okay, well, that's a fucking flat out lie. There's not housing and services offered. The lawsuit was premised, like the, the judge's ruling was premised on the fact that there is no, like, housing and services and that's why they're not allowed to do the sweep so that that's just that's a hundred percent dishonest courts must be held accountable enough is enough so the san francisco chronicle prints mm-hmm. something where you know this is coming from you know mm-hmm. like gavin newsom or his office I'm, I'm looking at this but gavin newsom says that he let me just see if i can pull up this article it's so insane but gavin newsom considered doxing this judge so he wants people he was at least thinking about people like getting people to individually harass this judge because mm-hmm. he doesn't like the ruling um which is just it's it's so i mean like that's so trump that's so desantis like it's wild to me that this is i mean it's not surprising that it's coming from you know a democratic governor because gavin newsom has a a long history of you know being terrible um, yeah of course on you know housing and homelessness issues but (laughs) okay here here it is from the SF Chronicle, um, Newsom was so mad he considered publicizing the judge's contact information so residents would know why the encampment wasn't being clear. I was literally talking about putting a bid sign with the judge's phone number saying, Call the judge. We want to clean this up too. Yes, we're aware. We see what you did. Um, you know, I mean, this is just like, this is really, it's really disgusting. Yeah. I think what's happening both with these politicians and honestly with, it seems like a, not a huge amount, but some percentage of like individual voters, like in San Francisco and over California, there's, there's, there's some quantity of people that have become quite radicalized. um, Yeah, absolutely. It's very concerning and it all has a blue label on it. It's all Democrats. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm very concerned about it. But um, Elon Musk uh, did uh, look at one of my tweets and call me a snake on Twitter. So uh, that's that's cool. My my most famous reply guy, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ! What a ah uh, yeah yeah. I mean, so fucking terrible, evil, like. The, these these fuckers are just like tweeting about declaring war and shit like on yeah. who you know yeah it's i mean it's literally like some of the richest people in the world like i think gary tan it's difficult to know how much he's actually worth but his shares yeah. in y combinator as of a couple years ago it was printed that it was worth 800 million dollars so almost a million dollars Elon Musk yeah. is i think the richest man in the entire world yeah he point. is yeah um, you know, and their whole there. This is all about being able to take tents away from from people without homes. And um, I mean, it's just a disgusting level of 
it's like you're the richest man in the world and you're obsessed. Literally, yeah. Yeah. I just looked at it and and his net worth currently is 257 billion. That's yeah. 100 billion more than Jeff Bezos. He could single-handedly end homelessness in the United States right now. Yeah. Um and you know like yeah. instead it's like about, you know, declaring more on people uh with Yeah. That's and- that's his idea of ending homelessness, literally just getting rid of homeless people. Well, or at least like getting them out of view. Um, exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> there's another story that I wanted to to talk about. This one is very funny. Um, I, I mean, it's horrible too, but it's very funny. And yeah, I, yeah. So we have kind of like a, we, we've got a fire festival type thing happening here, which is that. Okay. Okay. So there's all these Silicon Valley billionaires who they're mm-hmm. have you have you seen this? They're trying to start their own city. Okay. They're, they're trying to actually build a new where, city. Where, where they at? Up, they bought up a bunch of land in Solano County. So basically, like they just bought a bunch of farms, and the farmers who wouldn't sell, they you bullied them with mafia-like tactics, and they're trying to sue the farmers who wouldn't sell. Um, you know, by in the court or whatever. And I basically just like a lot of, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know their exact tactics, but there's basically like mm-hmm. some of the farmers have said that there were mafia like tactics used to um, get the land, but you know, they bought up a ton of land in Solano County and the billionaires um, we got Michael Moritz who is a billionaire venture capitalist. Um, he mm-hmm. uh, His company is called Sequoia Capital. And okay. he is also the founder of an organization in um, San Francisco called Together SF, which is like, it's like a quote unquote moderate political organization. Um, mm-hmm. They were behind this ad campaign where okay. uh, they just printed like signs all over San Francisco that said that's to life. And it was kind of, I guess it was trying to highlight, um, you know, the fentanyl use that's happening in the city, but it was really, you know, an effort to make it seem like all the homeless people that you see in San Francisco are are drug addicts. Um, So, you know, he's been trying to exert a lot of influence in San Francisco. Um, So he's one of the billionaires. Um, also, uh, Mark Andreessen, who is another venture capitalist that is close to um, Elon Musk. Um, there's also uh, Nat Friedman, who is the former CEO of GitHub. Um, he is the founder mm-hmm. of California Yimby. Um, Reed Hoffman, Chris Dixon, basically like all of these Silicon Valley high-level tech dudes that are, you know, obsessed with building housing, doing construction and having walkable yeah. cities. They're trying to start their own city um, it, on farmland in Solano County. And this was just uncovered by, um, I think, the San Francisco Chronicle and the New York Times. Um, the co- their company is called Flannery Associates. So basically, I'm super excited about this because this is going to be fire festival on a massive scale oh absolutely 100 <laughs> they're trying to live like they're trying to make tech bro city 
And I don't think anyone's going to want to live there. No, who the fuck wants to live there? That's so insane. No, it's fucking insane. I mean, it's like one of them, I think Mark Andreessen compared it to Foster City, who was, like, I guess, like the vision of one guy and was a developer. It's a, a suburb of, um, of the Bay Area. But man, it's just like, it, I just personally, like, I, I know I should oppose this and I, I feel bad for what they did to those farmers, but I, I cannot wait to see this happen. I'm just so excited about it, honestly. <laughs> I can't wait for uh I can't wait for the upcoming documentary about this. Yeah, I want to make the upcoming documentary about this. <laughs> I'm thinking about moving there. Um just so oh, yeah. see it all go down in real life. Um, because oh, I, I think God. it's gonna be really super funny. Um, like obviously these people are some of the worst people in the world, and you know, they're like these are largely the same people who are behind the um you know just like that terrible anti-homeless campaign in San Francisco P- Patrick and John Collison who are the the brothers behind the uh st- payment company Stripe um we've got Lorraine Powell Jobs um she is involved uh but you know this is basically like a i i mean you know i was um in the bay area when the there was some this thing called the sea setting institute and it was uh backed by peter Thiel. peter Thiel and eric schmidt of google gave a lot of money to this mm-hmm. organization of libertarians called the sea setting institute and they were their original mission was to try to figure out the homestead, the open seas. And I went to their first event to like see what it was like because it was kind of like Burning Man vibes. But they they couldn't even deal with the wind. Like that's how incompetent yeah. they were at the realities of like marine life. And this was in the Sacramento Delta. And I think what this whole organization eventually became is just a co-working space in Honduras. And so you know, these people do have a lot of money, but they, there's, there's some stuff you can't buy. Like you can't, you can't make oh, absolutely. the ocean obey you and you can't make people want to live in your weird, horrible little city, you know? It's, it's so weird to me when the shit that they keep doing, which is because all of these people have enough money to go live on a secluded farm somewhere and just do whatever they want. I don't know what is the obsession with being like, no, we want to build a city for us where you can all be neighbors with these psychos. I'm like, for why? Just just go be somewhere else that you like. You can you can live alone somewhere else. Well, I think, you know, I mean, obviously, like the most kind of like transparent motivation here is that mm-hmm. they're going to make a lot of money in real estate or at least they hope, right? Absolutely. That's- Absolutely, yes. That's definitely like the biggest part of it. But, you know, I do think that there is, and I talk about this a lot on, on Twitter and we talked about it on the podcast, is there's this like, you know, ideological commitment to disrupting cities, to, you know, making it like, um, you know, just like their their vision of what a, a city should be, which is yeah, 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 yeah. Because you know, if, if, if they build, right? yeah, if they, if they build a city and this, that city, does really well and it's great then it like it's basically saying hey if we had more control over these cities that you live in 
you can also have this. Exactly. But luckily, it's not going to work. Luckily, it's going to be one of, of course the, not. the stupidest Absolutely things not. of all time, you know? But I mean, like, yeah. they, they, they are trying right now for a power grab in San Francisco. That's all these, like, you know, they have all these organizations, like Together SF, Abundant SF, Grow SF. They love, like, horrible names. Um I think there's there was the one that I forgot what it was called, but the one the organization that um, basically bankrolled a lot of uh, the Boudin recall, um, and it was you know the work of like yeah a few billionaires and millionaires or whatever. It's all like major 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 funders, but they all have these like very innocuous sounding names and like these mm-hmm. you know basically like Republican donors and venture capitalists have poured money yeah. into San Francisco and, and they're, they have not been able to get complete control of the city's politics. They've been able to get some control of yeah. the city's politics, but not complete yeah, yeah. control. So they're envisioning mm-hmm. a city that they can have like complete control over and like basically like the, the you know, the idea that it will be, you know, functional, walkable, crime-free, you know, optimized. Of course, yes. It's going to work out as well as fucking Uber worked out for labor. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, it's going to be... I think, yeah, it's going to be the quippy of cities, you know? Like... That's our episode title. Yeah. Yeah. The quippy of cities. Yeah. Yeah, literally. It's just like, it's going to be such a waste of money and it's going to last for not for too long and it's just going to be an empty place. Um, well, I just personally can't wait to see what happens. I will keep you updated. I mean, this this may be a five-year project that continues to unfold over time, and I, I hope it's funnier and funnier. And also, they're literally doing the Chinatown movie, which is a great movie. What's one of my have you seen that one with Jack Nicholson? I have not I have oh, not it's seen incredible. it. No, what? One of the best movies ever it's made co- about land it, use. It's called Chinatown, or was it called Chinatown? Yeah, it's about these like okay super rich people. Yeah, I'm gonna that, look it up. You know, basically buy up a bunch of land in California and start doing corrupt shit, and, and they're like trying to do that in real life. So, you know, this is Chinatown in real life, and um, we'll you know we'll see what happens, but it's it's gonna be super funny, and I, I hope we don't have to wait too long for them to get started because I I can't wait. Absolutely, uh, yeah, I I want the bit to be to be quick. So this is a pretty California-centric episode, but for our guest today, um, I'm going to be talking with an organizer out of Los Angeles, um, you know, about like the causes of homelessness, what we can actually do about it, what the carceral state is trying to do about it in California, but also all over the U.S. And I'm looking forward to this conversation and um, I hope you stick around. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you to all the people who donated to Zine Preston. And we'll see you next week. Yeah, see you next week. Just listen to Reply Guys. Hello, this is Kate. I am back joined by someone that I'm very excited to talk to. Uh, she's an organizer from K- for K-Town for All. Um, Andrina Ness, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hi, Kate. Thanks so much for having me. Followed you on Twitter for a long time. Excited to finally meet you. I love your Twitter. Um, So can you tell us a little bit just about what K-Town for All is? 
Yeah, we're a mutual aid group uh, based out of the Koreatown neighborhood here in Los Angeles. We do uh, direct outreach on the weekends and during the week, depending on need, uh, where we distribute um, food, uh, life-saving materials like tents, blankets, tarps. Um, and we try to connect with our unhoused neighbors and advocate for them politically. I've been following what's happening in California pretty closely. I'm from there. I grew up in LA and lived in San Francisco for a long time. And, you know, it's just been like so wild over the past few years to, to see what really feels to me like just a, a level of hostility that has increased towards unhoused people, like, you know, both from politicians and from individuals. I know it's always been bad, but are you also perceiving that there there seems to be kind of a, like a, a scapegoating that's happening that I find really concerning? Yeah, I think it's it's definitely getting worse. I, I think as, you know, as the homeless population explodes, um, it's grown 10% in the last year, up to like 50% growth in the last 10 years. It's just an incredible amount of people. And I really think you're just bound to have more people who have experienced negative experiences with un unhoused people just because of the number of people out there um, and the media flooding them with negative stories. And um, I think people are more paranoid than they've ever been, you know, like whether that's the true crime brain or anything like that. But I do think there's like a culture of mistrust and fear and and then there's just this growing population on the streets um, that has nowhere to go and um i i don't think our cities are very are very uh pleasant place at the moment culturally yeah it's just really oh man i i just you know i i was paying attention to the news this weekend because there was this injunction in san francisco and then there are people protesting the injunction. Um, would you be able to uh, break down for us what that injunction is and why people are protesting it? Yeah, I mean, the basic story is the city of San Francisco wants to be able to throw people's belongings away without having adequate shelter. Um, there's been this lawsuit going on with um, homeless services advocates being the plaintiffs, uh, basically saying that they're uh, the city shouldn't be able to throw away people's tents and belongings if they don't have a place to go. And the judge has found that San Francisco is not providing a real offer of shelter uh, whenever they're offering shelter to these people because there's not enough beds. Uh, so they basically have prohibited the city from moving forward and doing sweeps when these people have no place to go. That's something that's been held in multiple courts, basically like, you know, on house people have constitutional rights too when the government is taking their tents, like they're seizing their property, like there has to be due process, like that's something that courts have, you know, uh, decided on for a while. And I just, you know, these right wingers get frothing mad, uh, which is really funny because these conservative judges in some cases are upholding property rights. Yeah. Um, and that's basically the the crux of it is the city doesn't want to follow due process while throwing people stuff away. They want to be able to just constantly sweep uh, without increasing their shelter bed capacity. Yeah, I, I'm just I'm blown away by the level of dishonesty from Gavin Newsom and London Breed because there keeps being this, you know, point that they're reiterating 
about people refusing shelter. And it, it's literally like written down in the judge's ruling that the reason that the judge made that ruling is because there is not adequate shelter, but there's like, I, I don't know. I mean, they, they can kind of just go online and in the newspaper and just tell a very bald faced, uh, easily disproven lie about it. It seems. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the whole thing is like, they don't want to come out and say, we're not providing these people services there's no housing for these people to go into and we're not working on solving that. Um, for a lot of politicians, the pressure they feel is to make homeless people disappear. Like they want unhoused people to not be visible to the naked eye because that's what people are demanding. Um, people aren't demanding that they build shelters or public housing for these people to go into. They just don't want to see them and they're not interested in seeing what happens to them after they're gone. Um, and, and I think that's what our policies have reflected. You know, there's no mass building of public housing units that would get these people indoors ASAP. Um, we're giving them tickets for existing outside and um, people and if are you being- get multiple tickets, you go to jail, correct? Absolutely. Um, 4118, which was the the municipal code here in L.A. that criminalized uh, laying, sleeping, sitting in the public way, um, is a is, is a citation. Um, and once you have enough of them, uh, you go to jail. And uh, there's a lot of other, you know, uh, tickets that you get for being unhoused, drinking in public, urinating in public, loitering in public, trespassing. Um, all those are basically like poverty tickets that the, that the police can give you at any time because you're unhoused. Um, and they just rack up. Uh, I've met tons of people who were never in the criminal justice system until they became unhoused. And now they have felonies you know once you rack up two or three misdemeanors the next one's going to be a felony and now you're a felon and now you're a felon who lives outside and you you know getting inside is even harder it's just um there's really once you're out there getting out is just like a quicksand trap you know like it's just impossible yeah and it seems like i mean it seems obviously impossible like it seems like if you take even a couple minutes to think through of like what it takes to get an apartment you know you need an okay credit score you need you know first often last a deposit you know you have to show income i mean like it just doesn't like it doesn't make sense that people keep saying that this has nothing to do with money or the price of housing. There's this like kind of ongoing talking point from really both liberals and conservatives at this point, that this is all an issue of addiction. And you made a point that I really liked the other day, which is like, I don't remember exactly how you said it, but just like, you know, if even if you're sober, if you don't have enough money for housing, like you can't get housing. Yeah, I, I mean, I meet plenty of sober people um, out here on the streets and it's like, well, they have an eviction on their record. Like there's no one that's going to rent to them, even if even if they had the $15,000 in their pocket necessary to move in somewhere, they're not going to be able to because they have that eviction on their record. And uh, there's a lot of things like that that just constantly come up where, um, you know, take the voucher system for for example like that's free government money like the government's willing to give a landlord a guaranteed amount of money and like they won't take it uh so this is section eight vouchers correct yeah um 
that's the neoliberal like privatization of our public housing system. It's like the private public partnership that was supposed to uh, replace the public housing we've been demolishing since the 90s. Um, and it's severely unsuccessful, uh, particularly here in LA. Uh, I think they had to return $82 million of federal funding uh, because so many people's uh, vouchers expired in their hands without landlords taking them. Um, so we have these like schemes, and I call them schemes because they're they're scams. Like for the, you know, for the most, the majority of people who get a voucher like that in their hands, uh, most of them are not going to be able to move into a unit. And that's what we're promising these unhoused people. Like that's the goal of these nonprofits is to get the person to give you like five years worth of documents, make, you know, trips to 15 appointments, wait the, you know, five to 10 years to get the voucher in their hands. And then the voucher doesn't work. Like that's what we're using as a system to get people indoors right now. And it's clearly not working. It's so heartbreaking. Like, it's just a very, um, I think that it really like, it, it like erodes like our soul emotionally as a country to like treat other people in this way. I think that people have to like, even people, with housing have to like sh you have to shut down a part of your contents and your heart to be able to be like oh yeah it's fine that we do not provide the basics to people who are in need and I, I think that's to me that's like kind of part of the reason why you know there is so much like hostility, like even from liberals at this point is like, you know, seeing people live outside, it makes them feel bad about themselves. And particularly like that, plus they don't actually believe in doing anything to solve it. Like, I don't know. It's just, ugh. yeah, it's like cognitive dissonance. Like, um, you know, I've written about this a lot. Like, I think it makes people feel better that they justify that these people deserved it or like did something wrong uh, to end up there. Uh, they don't, they want to do anything to like avoid seeing the common patterns uh, of how these people ended up out there. And like, surprise, all of them got evicted after like an illness or like a partner dying um, or job loss or, um, hospitalization the the fastest growing group of homelessness uh in the entire country is the elderly because social security doesn't pay for a room anymore um and if you don't have family to scoop you up like that's it you're you know the the amount of people that i've run into that are in their 60s and 70s is only growing and we had to like i didn't someone asked me for dental cream the other day to like adhere their dentures and i was like i don't even know where you would go to buy that but now i have to go figure it out like i have to go yeah. figure out where i would get that um so what we have to carry as an org change uh changes depending on our demographic and like we've had to look into adult diapers and um denture cream and you know like uh bed sore cream and things like that that we've never had to purchase before and I just think that goes to show like, you know, and, and then a lot of these people will blame themselves or like try to um, be like, I'm like, I promise I was good. Like I worked for so many years and then I hurt my back and, you know, I'm not out here using drugs. And, you know, I, we tell them like, you don't have to explain to us, like we know. Um, but it's really heartbreaking that a lot of people do feel like they have to explain uh, that they're not bad, that like something happened to them.
uh, yeah. which is the case for most of them. Yeah. And, and I think that like part of the reason that, you know, people feel compelled to, you know, demonize people without housing is because like nobody wants to believe that that could happen to them. You know, like I think that, you know, it's it's an often repeated point that we're all closer to homelessness than we are to any of these billionaires. But like for most people, that's really, really true. You know, like I, I there's just so many people in the U.S. living in, you know, a huge degree of precarity. And I, I to me, like that seems like part of the, the motivation to like have to tell ourselves some story about this other than, yeah, like housing costs a lot of money now and not everybody has that much money if you look at how much social security provides it's clearly not the amount that it takes to get housing and if you look at how much a minimum wage job provides clearly not the amount like i don't know it's really fucked up it's really fucked up (laughs) so like you know, in terms of like these sweeps, I, I mean, first of all, I feel like that's a horrible term. Like it, you know, it just sounds, I, I mean, it, like talking about another person, like they're, you know, uh, dirt or something, literally it's fucked up. But like, what, what is that actually? Well, uh, even more ominous, the official name for sweeps, uh, the acronym they use here in LA is the Care Plus Operations. That's so dystopian. It's so evil, uh, like laughably like comic book villain evil, but they're called Care Plus. Um, and basically it's ever since 4118 passed that made it illegal to basically exist in public as a homeless person in LA, um, about like 30 to 40% of the city's criminalized now. They have these signs up on LA streets that you'll see. It has a map that shows you the zone that it covers uh, under the ordinance, which is usually like every public park, every school, fire departments, clinics, like the list of, of, you know, safe zones expanded just massively. So now it's it's pretty much the entire city, but um, they put these signs up and it gives them, it's like legal notice that they're going to be doing sweeps here regularly. And then they'll put up these uh, more temporary paper ones when they're coming, uh, announcing when they're coming. It's hit or miss whether they come or not. They don't have enough sanitation staff to fulfill all of them. So it's usually like politically motivated or, um, you know, tourist motivated or complaint motivated, basically. Um, if they're having a big festival, they'll they'll clear out parks. If they're having like a movie shoot, they've moved people out of streets. If they're having like a rally at City Hall, they'll clear out those streets. Um and yeah, basically sanitation rolls up. So a giant green monster truck, um, you know, of the the garbage trucks, and then uh, the police is usually there as well. Um, so the police shows up. Um, there's loss of workers allegedly. So like you know, homeless services workers. Um, and it's made our job harder actually because they'll send in the social worker first, who makes the offer of housing, quote unquote, like. Hey, anyone wants want to go to the shelter? And these people are usually too busy moving their shit to be able to engage with this person. Um, and they're rushing to move their stuff across the street usually as that person shows up. Because if you don't move it across the street, um, a person with a garbage bag and a timer 
uh, will start telling you that whatever you don't get into that garbage bag is being thrown away. Um, and sadly, if you're gone at an appointment or if you're gone at work and your tent's empty, it's getting thrown away. Yeah. Um, so that's basically how they work. It, it kind of varies by location, how intense they are. Um, some places have made them care only uh, sweeps. So that's not the full throwing everything away. It's like spot cleaning. Um, so some city council people have downgraded their entire district for the most part, unless it's like a safety hazard. Um, city council people have a lot of discretion on what kind of sweeps happen. Here in CD10 in Koreatown, um, our city council person is an awful, awful person who has refused to engage with us. Um, she won't talk to us at all. What's and her name? Name and shame. <laughs> it's Heather Hutt. Right, oh, the appointed remember. one. Yeah, she, she got appointed by Nuri uh, when our uh, Mark Ridley Thomas went to jail, or oh, went yeah, to, yeah. He, when he got convicted. LA politics is so wild. <laughs> so, so she got wow. appointed. Um, Mark Ridley Thomas would actually talk to K Town for all, and uh, even though he did sweeps, he was still like open to dialogue, and she has completely never talk to us at all ever um, but other districts have other districts have inquired uh, as to like best practices and like what they could do to make sweeps like less traumatizing or like you know less awful um, which is you know good but at the end of the day like people shouldn't have to live with the fear of getting their stuff thrown away and yeah having to replace everything constantly and um, it really extends the time of, that people are out here on the streets. It's so harmful uh, for people's stuff to get thrown out weekly. I mean, I was just really struck this past weekend, not not struck, disgusted, because I was looking at on Twitter, Gary Tan, who is has close to a billion dollars, if not a billion, and Elon Musk, who is literally the richest man in the world. They were popping off. Uh, about this law firm that was, you know, basically defending the the civil rights of people without homes. And, you know, they were going off about it. And it's like these people would like, you know, but between them, like many, many billions of dollars, they're really obsessed with taking a tent away from people who have nothing else. I mean, the level of sickness in that is, it's unbelievable. Like, I, you know, I, I, dude, you have billions of dollars. Go to a swimming pool. Enjoy your money, you know? Like, yeah, go live fuck? on an island and shut up. Yeah, um, just he could, he could build apartments for these people. He could house everyone, you know, for a big chunk of San Francisco if he wanted to. If he was yeah, really absolutely. concerned, he could build Musk apartments and call them like Musk you know, dorms or whatever and house everyone tomorrow if he wanted yeah, to. Yeah, there would be nothing to prevent him from doing that. Like, it's not, yeah. like, there's no law saying that he can't do that. Like, you know. Yeah, I'm, I mean, that's the whole thing, too. It's just um, these people are made uncomfortable by witnessing people living in poverty is my theory. Like it makes them uncomfortable having to see it. And they do think they've earned their money. And they do think that people who are out there like made those choices and deserves to suffer through them. Like it's just this very puritanical, like evangelical bootstraps thinking um, that really absolves them of any guilt or responsibility. Yeah, um, I think like that's, 
kind of how, you know, down in San Diego, Bill Walton, uh, NBA commentator, uh, wrote this big um, op-ed in the newspaper saying that uh, all the homeless people in San Diego should be sent to a camp in the desert, uh, that like the national, um, that the you know, Army Corps of Engineers should build, and then they'll all be, you know, job trained out there. Um, and it's it's just like a very common repeated point is like, you know, they should be put in the desert is like, like the rich person talking point here in LA is like, they shouldn't be here. They should be congregated in camps somewhere. Um, and I really don't think it's far to call it genocidal. Like, you know, at, at that point, when you're advocating for like the complete removal of a group of people from society that like make you uncomfortable that you've deemed lesser, like it's really um, scary. Um, and we've seen vigilantism like increase, like people will set people's tents on fire and like slash them and um, people get assaulted like in the middle of the night by house people, like women get sexually assaulted by house people. And it's like, no one's going to come protect them. Like the cops do it too. Um, so it's just like a completely vulnerable group of people who are never going to be protected um, and who are being attacked by the richest people on earth. Like it's just, I can't imagine a more defenseless group of people really in our society right now. Yeah, it's definitional bullying. It's like the most extreme example of bullying of just the people with the most power picking on the people with the least power. And I completely agree with you that it is genocidal. I mean, it's like what happened in San Francisco with these motherfuckers uh, rallying against the injunction, you know, like this collection of you know politicians and small business owners and just, you know, whatever, tech bros or whatever, like, you know, they're in the street, like, chanting for a group of people to be, you know, Im imprisoned, harassed by the police. Um, and I mean, it's just like, yeah, that is fucking fascist. And the level of scapego scapegoating that's happening right now is, is fascist. And it's like, it, you know, it feels frustrating because like i i think that i think that still sounds crazy to people to like most liberals to you know to to say like no this is fucking fascist what's happening but i mean it it really is like i i can't you know like i i can't imagine that like most liberals would feel comfortable standing by while like you know gay people were treated that way or something like that it's something that people would clearly recognize as violence and fascist but for some reason it's just like okay with people if you know they can tell themselves a story about how the person may deserve it in some way yeah i i think that's um you know uh, here in la you listen to like any city council call or whatever and you think you were in like red tennessee or something like the the idea the things that come out of people's mouths is just, you know, like these people are invading our sidewalks. Like uh, there's like all this language about like them being invasive and like 
owning our public spaces, like our spaces. It's like a very us versus them, uh, which is very scary if you know of anything uh, historically. And um, as I mentioned before, like we've seen extreme acts of vigilantism, like people setting camps on fire and uh, things like that, that then they get blamed for. Um, yeah. You know, we've heard people uh, blame them for, you know, starting fires in the countryside, um, things like that. And it all comes down to like, okay, these people don't want to be there either. They wouldn't be lighting fires trying to eat food if they were inside. Um, you know, like anything that you have a problem with, uh, mutual aid groups like ourselves are often accused of like keeping people on the streets like you want to leave people to die on the streets and that's not compassionate or whatever like that's something they say to us all the time and um it's like first of all that's not it we just don't want people shoved into like tuna can apartments by the 15th like 15 of them in a shipping container just because you know we don't have anywhere else for them to go yeah and we want people to build real housing for them to live in. Like these shelters are not going to solve the problem of 10% of our population becoming, or like our population of unhoused people growing every year. Like that's a massive amount of people. That's like 6,000 people a year uh, yeah. increase every single year. Um, and being accused of wanting to leave them out there, like, LA city council politicians have said that we bribe people to stay on the streets. Um, city councilman Kevin DeLeon said that we, he witnessed us, uh, you know, us mutual aid groups giving people $20 in cash to stay on the street and to not take offers of shelter. Um, and Karen Bass repeated the same thing too. She said she couldn't believe that advocates were were telling people to stay on the streets when people were just informing people what their rights were during sweeps, which included like, you know, being able to say no to going to a really shitty shelter in the desert um, that you're just going to end up getting kicked out of in three months because there's no public housing for you to go into. Um, yeah, it's just, it's really disturbing how much alignment there is with, you know, liberals and conservatives on this. Like, I, you know, I saw like, you know, Gavin Newsom was like, I agree with Elon Musk. And then like that fascist guy, the blatantly fascist guy, Andy No was like, yeah, I agree with this too. And it was like such a perfect representation because it's like, there's just very, very, very little disagreement. Um, and yeah, I just, just to kind of go back to, you know, something that you were saying a moment ago, um, when people are offered the opportunity to, uh, go to these congregate shelters, what is that like? So, um, a, sometimes the offer is not even real. Um, so the police will often just like read a statement offering shelter. Um, but we've had people say, yes, like, okay, I'll go into a shelter. Like, where is it at? Like, where do I go? And the cops don't know. Like, they don't have a specific shelter in mind that they're offering. They don't know if there's any beds available and they're not providing transport. Um, so a lot of the times when we hear, you know, these offers, we just, they're just fake until proven otherwise for most people. Um, and okay, for some of them that do get real shelter offers, uh, for a lot of them, A, they're really far. A lot of them are located out in the desert here in LA. Um, 
So it's kind of just like, do I leave the neighborhood I'm comfortable with where I have doctors often, where I have my social worker um, and like I know how to get around uh, to go to this strange place. Um, and each shelter is basically like a giant network of nonprofits and they each have their own rules and regulations. So there's the religious ones um, and those are freaky. Uh, those freak people out. A lot of people have trauma from religion. A lot of the LGBT people on the street specifically, you know, like if you're transgender, they'll put you, if you're a trans woman, they'll put you in the men's section, um, things like that. Um, they'll make you go to church in exchange for a bed and meals. Uh, they'll take your cell phone away when you walk in. You're not allowed to touch anyone else while you're in there. Um, you know, there's just like these wild rules at each shelter and you got to learn them and you don't know which one you're going into. So, you know, and you, you get off- stay with your like your partner or your you know your friends or your child a lot of the time yeah so there's single uh shelters where single it's usually separated by sex and uh familial status so there are family shelters those fill up immediately there's so many families in the family shelters that they're they're rare that they're open and that's like mom dad children or mom and children uh then there's mom shelters so there's like mom and pregnancy shelters. Those are often religious as well, which really freaks pregnant women out because they're usually tied to adoption agencies, like Christian oh adoption agencies. So people feel preyed upon and it's like a whole industry to get unhoused pregnant women to go to their shelters and then like adopt out their babies. Steal their um, babies. Yeah, steal their babies. That's why I said it like that. Um, they'll give them housing up until the baby's like three months and then you're back on the streets and then they'll be like, well, we have to call CPS because you don't have a place to live. Um, would you rather, you know, pick the family out? You know, it's like you have all these shelter options that discriminate, you know, on your gender, on your sex, on your age, on your, uh, and you, first of all, you have to find one that you qualify for. So um, I don't know if you saw on our social media, but during the hurricane, um, an unhoused woman we know um, tried to get a hurricane shelter um, and they told her there were no shelters available for single adults in LA County. Um, and that's something common. Um, single adults are probably the last priority. I would say it goes like pregnant people, families, DV victims, and then single adults, like in the terms of priority, and then disabled people um, at the way bottom, because a lot of these shelters are inaccessible. They like use bunks. So people can't who can't climb up to a top bunk, your shelter availability is immediately cut in half. And they'll announce like, we only have seven top bunks left. So, you know, this last weekend, I met a man who had like two very severely infected feet and he went to a shelter himself because he just got out of the hospital for his feet and he was instructed to keep them clean and dry and obviously he can't do that outside so he goes to the shelter and they offer him a top bunk and he's like I'm literally here because I cannot walk because I have these severely infected feet and they said well like we can't help you the only beds we have are the top bunk beds so now he's back at his camp um, and that's just very normal um, it's like um and, and I think of a sign of the times right now that's very, very bad is that I have seen more women and children living in tents in the last like four months than I've seen in the last five years um, because they're at the top of the rung, you know, of priority is like women and children. There's a lot more shelters um, 
they're like prioritized for care and things like that. And the fact that we're seeing more of them on the streets means those priority shelters are full or like the the services are slowing down. And that doesn't bode well for the people below the, the ladder of priority. Um, I think there's just so many people out there now and it's growing and demand is growing for shelter that it's getting worse and worse um, trying to access some. So what is it? Like, what would a pathway look like to actually getting people housing, like not these horrible shelters? Like, what what does it look like to to be able to give everybody who needs a place to live a place to live? It looks like social housing. I mean, there's really no other option. These people cannot function in a market economy. Um, they either can't work to make enough money to pay for what it costs to have an apartment or are otherwise like impeded from even accessing the market anymore. They have too many evictions. They have too many bankruptcies. They have bad credit. Um, and if our government doesn't build housing to scoop them up outside of the market, um, they're never going to be folded into the market ever again. Yeah. Um, you can't squeeze, you know, what is it, blood from a stone? Like a person that doesn't have any arms on disability who he gets, you know, a couple, uh, maybe $1,500 a month uh, in disability will never be able to pay, you know, $2,500 for a one bedroom here in LA ever. So that person exists what are we going to do about it? Like, that's literally the question. Like these people are out there. They will never make enough money to pay for an apartment. So now what? Like, that's the question we're at. And every year that percentage of people who can't pay increases. Um, last year it was a 9% increase, you know, and the count is an undercount. So we could probably assume that's it's higher than that, but the official number is 9%. So every year there's going to be 10% more unhoused people on our streets and keeping people housed is a priority. So policies like rent control, just cause, you know, not letting landlords do bullshit Ellis Act ev evictions, like those things, keeping people in their places for as long as possible is homelessness prevention. And then once people are out on the streets, getting them inside A as soon as possible so they experience the least amount of trauma as possible so that they can remain mentally healthy and, um, you know, uh, just prevent suffering. And then, you know, keeping them in apartments that they don't have to leave um, in any set amount of time. So like right now, most of the shelters available for people in LA, um, I don't think most people know this, you, they're temporary. So you get about like three months at them. Some of them limit you to once a year. And if you don't have a place to go by the end of those three months, you get kicked back out on the streets, which is one reason that people don't want to go into these shelters is if they can't find you a permanent place to live, which they probably will not be able to, you can't get off those lists, um, you know, sooner than 10 years at the quickest, um, then you just end up on the streets again. And this time you have nothing. Like you might've given up your dog and your tent and all your belongings to go into these places. Cause that's what they ask. You're only allowed like a tiny little locker of belongings to go in. Um, so you basically, you're out on the street. You have to make this choice in your head. Like, do I go into this shelter? I don't know where it's located. I have to give up everything I own right now to get in there, including maybe my pet and my partner. Um, and then when I get in there, 
they're just going to release me in three months when they can't find a place for me. And most people have gone into a shelter at one point or another. And like, that's why they don't want to go in anymore because they've been through the ringer two or three times and ended up on the street again. Uh, and that just causes more distress next time someone shows up and goes like, hey, I'm with Inside Safe. We, we're trying to get you inside. People kind of just roll your eyes at that, roll their eyes at that point because yeah. they've rightfully are now skeptical. Um, most people that I've met on the streets in LA, it's very rare that they're not on a housing wait list. I'd say like 80, 90% of the people out there are on some sort of wait list already. And they're waiting to get called either to, you know, a senior housing public unit or a veterans unit or just like a general public housing project or the section eight list, which is, you know, the line is so long for section eight in LA that the wait list is closed. You can't even get on it now. Um, and that's what we're using to get people out of this is just, um, you know, these vouchers that people don't want to take and, um, we haven't built up our stock of public housing and, and now we're seeing the consequences. I mean, it's just, to me, I've really started to more I read, excuse me, more I read about this issue, the more it reminds me of climate denialism where, you know, it's like solving the problem is, is going to take convincing people about the actual nature of the issue. You know, like, I, I think the people are operating under like a lot of misconceptions of like, Oh, you could just go to a shelter or something, you know, and like, then, you know, you'll just get, get housing or whatever. I, you know, and it's like, just even like a lot of the solutions that are being proposed to it are, are like these, you know, these market rate solutions, like, you know, we'll just build housing. We'll you know, give a few more vouchers where it's like, no, this is, this is like a giant problem that it's going to take like a massive mobilization in terms of like creating social housing, um, you know, getting, you know, getting people sheltered, like now immediately hotels, you know, and, and it's, I, I, how do you react to like these market suggestions? Yeah. I, I mean, if you couldn't tell, I'm, I'm very anti the market will do anything to solve this because we've, we've tried the market. It won't. Yeah. Uh, the section eight program, as I mentioned, is the, the privatization of public housing. Like instead of having public housing, we have these stupid fucking vouchers and they hand them out. And these vouchers are government money going into the pocket of landlords every month. And usually the worst of the worst landlords, landlords who rent to Section 8 tenants do so because they know they're vulnerable. They love to rent to people who are scared shitless of losing their units. Like that's the average Section 8 landlord is a person who targets these people because they know that they're not going to come and complain about anything because they're lucky to have found anyone that took that voucher. Um, and that's it. Like, you know, like this. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, and it, you know, here in LA, even if we're giving them this free money, the landlords aren't taking it. So we've passed, California passed a, a source of income discrimination protection a year ago. Um, and it's pretty useless uh, because a landlord, even though they're not allowed to say no Section 8 anymore, and they're, they're supposed to consider every applicant equally, including if you have a voucher, uh, they're allowed to say like high credit, triple the income required, you know, the same, you know, 
$10,000 deposit, like the same exact regulations that a normal market applicant would have. Um, and they're allowed to discriminate that way. So imagine- yeah, it reminds me of like, it reminds me of like employment law where it's like, oh, okay, you're not allowed to fire someone for being gay, but you are allowed to fire them for no reason. You know, yeah, like, it's just like, obviously they're going to find loopholes, even if you say that you're not technically allowed to discriminate, you know? Yeah. And this is what private public partnership has gotten us. Like, this is where we're at. We're, we've tried the Section 8 system for decades now. And of course, it houses some people. Some people are in their apartments right now because they found a landlord that took their voucher. And I'm not saying those people should like, we should cancel the program or whatever, but it's clearly not meeting the need and it's clearly not working. Landlords aren't wanting to take them. And this is what gets touted, like Karen Bass, her Inside Safe program. I remember when she announced that, you know, that we're getting them into hotels, which is a good thing generally. Like we've, we found that a lot of people like having their own room that like locks behind them and it's better than staying in a shelter. Um, but it's not permanent housing. Um, and I remember asking like, okay, well, what are they going to do with people? Like they've, they've got these hotels for two or three years. Then what? And I, one of the social workers that are like, oh, well, by then, like, well, we hope to get them vouchers. Like, we hope to have them get vouchers. And I was like, so the plan is in three years, we hope that somehow vouchers rain down on these people and that landlords who accept those vouchers will also rain down. Like, that's the official policy. Um, and that's what it seems to be. Like, that's we're just hoping that landlords decide to start taking these vouchers. And, you know, it's so depressing, honestly, because, you know, that's the progressive platform. Like that's Karen Bass is like this progressive champion who's going to solve homelessness and her plan ends at, you know, these zoning requirements where they have to include like one affordable unit per a thousand luxury penthouses. So I mean, and not, then, not that the, it's just, it's so stupid how limited it is. Not, yeah. Yeah. I, and, and there's no clamoring for like, we need to build, like, you know, we need to build public housing. We need to make it illegal for landlords to do Ellis activate. Like I, I really wish there was a lot more teeth in rental protections. She seems to be very scared of pissing off the developers and the landlords. Um, and I mean, that's just every politician in California. Like, I think the whole problem comes down to like, they're trying to solve homelessness without costing landlords a penny, which is impossible. Yeah. You can't, you can't solve homelessness while protecting your developer and landlord friends, which is what all of these politicians are trying to do. They're trying to do both at once. They're trying to be friends with landlords and developers and solve homelessness. And it's never going to fucking work. And landlords and developers are, you know, as, a, as an industry, the real estate industry is one of the primary obstacles to solving this problem. Like, obviously, they uh, spend, you know, millions and millions of dollars opposing even basic tenant protections. It, to me, it's just when people think that, you know, giving these people even more power is how we could solve the problems that they are causing. I mean, it's like, you got to be so out to lunch to to think that the solution is going to come from the people who are creating the problem, in my opinion. I mean, yeah, it's like the, the 
you know, neoliberal YIMBY movement is it's trickle down housing. Like if we build enough of it, the poor will get some. Um, they don't like it when you call it trickle down housing. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's also like when, OK, when is this trickle down going to happen? Like even in their estimate, I don't know, 30 years, who's going to be fucking alive in 30 years if they've been on the street that entire time? It's disgusting. Yeah. I really hate it. And I I don't know, like it's just it makes me so mad that like the idea of like just the just the idea of like housing justice that does not include the people who need housing it's wild it's like wild. truly I, I i can't imagine any semblance of reform honestly not being fought tooth and nail by those people like any tiny little increase to you know you're not allowed to rotisserie your tenants it just like gets a massive protest and yeah. they show up to city council meetings crying putting forward like a little grandma who depends on her one unit for rent and you know these politicians eat it up like the mom and pop landlord stories get front page news articles and uh if we pass just cause like your mom and pop is gonna have to let a gang member who sells drugs stay in her unit now yeah. and, you know all these horror stories um when it's you know, like, look outside, like, look who the real victims are. Like, it's not these people who own million dollar buildings in LA. They're going to be okay. If they hate being landlords so bad because they can't evict people whenever they feel like it, like they can sell their million dollar buildings and make Any, a lot of fucking money. It's yeah. Okay. It's they're okay. going to be a okay. They're going to be fine. But the people who are living out here aren't, you know, there's 60,000 unhoused people um, on our streets right now in, in LA California. County. No, in, in LA, LA County. County. Oh, damn. Um, yeah, there's about forty thousand in LA City proper, um, and then sixty thousand in the LA County area, um, and it keeps growing. Again, ten percent each year is has been stable growth. And um, when I first started doing this work, there was a slogan that we were making signs about called Five a Day in LA." That's the number of unhoused people that die every day, um, and now we're at six a day every day in LA. Um, after a couple years, which is a massive increase in death and um, completely unnecessary. You know, we're, we live in the richest city of the richest country of, of all time. And the sad part is like, we had it figured out at some point, like boomers had public housing, like the government used to help pay for your house. Like we've yeah. had generous public programs before that kept people housed. And I think going back to what you said about the mental health issue, I think like that pisses me off the most because Tennessee has higher uh, drug usage rates than California per capita. They have lower homelessness rates because even people on drugs in Tennessee can afford the rent there. Um, it's also like, should your punishment for having a mental illness be that you don't have a home? I have a mental illness. Yeah. Should, should, do I not deserve to have a home? Like, I mean, luckily for me, like my mental illness is like depression, you know, like, but it's like, I didn't choose that. Like I didn't, you know, I would, I wouldn't select it if I had to constitute, you know, my brain uh, any way that I could or whatever, like people don't pick this stuff. Like, yeah. why the fuck should you punish people for struggling with something, you know? And, and a lot of the groups ending up out here, like consistently, I think one that really touches my heart is um, almost every young person you see on the streets is an aged out foster youth. Um, 
like almost all of them. If you ever see like a really young person, 15 through 20, they're almost all aged out foster youth, uh, which means that we, the government, you know, we, the people were responsible for their well-being and then they aged out of the system and we completely abandoned them. Um, or they ran away from conditions that were too horrible to to live in. Um, so there's all these groups that like we, I mean, we owe responsibility to everyone. I, I don't, I meet some people out there that are not the nicest people and they're not like they've done awful things in their lives, you know, and I still think they deserve to be inside because no one deserves to be like living in filth on the streets. And of course, yeah. no matter what they've done, it's better for everyone that they be inside of a place uh, to live and to be outside. Um, I, I, I think, think everyone deserves a place to live. Look, this is an extreme statement, but I think even the Yimbies deserve housing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not not even kidding, Kate. I've like given hygiene kits to people with like swastikas on them. Like there's yeah. been times where you're just like, everyone deserves a place to live. Everyone yeah. deserves a place. Like I'm going to give water to this person who probably would have me exterminated. It's okay. I mean, I don't have to talk to them. I'll just like keep moving, but yeah, it's not the criteria for being friends with someone. It's yeah, like exactly. The and, and like, I think that's the thing too, is like, there's just like a rainbow of personalities out here. Like I've met people who are doctors who had like mental health crises after their spouse died and ended up on the streets. I've met people who were lawyers. I've met people who were teachers. Um, this man, I, give supplies to in a park right now has a master's in literature and he gives me books recommendations every week and he sits down and asks me questions about them like we're in lecture and I'm like very stressed to finish up my chapters before I go see him um, there's this like narrative that you know I don't know if it's the same thing in LA but I certainly see it coming out of San Francisco that you know equating uh homelessness with being a fentanyl dealer um which is so ridiculous like you know i mean it's just like most people are not dealing uh fentanyl at all you know but it's like i don't know how do you see like the, this play out with like the interplay with like addiction and how we talk about it so in my experience out of just probably like the thousands of people I've talked to who have opened up to me about their their drug addiction the vast majority of them start using once they're on the street. That makes um, sense to me. I would I yeah, would definitely. I, yeah. I the the misery, the self-medication, a lot of them have mental health conditions that they can't imagine trying it's so hard to get a Kaiser fucking refill from my apartment. I can't imagine if I was in a tent like getting regular prescription medication filled. Um so a lot of people are self-medicating. And another thing that I never even considered was like survival. Uh, I got told by a lot of women, particularly women who stay alone, that they use meth at night to stay up, to stay safe. And then they'll use heroin during the day to sleep, um, you know, and I'd never even thought about the implications of having to stay awake to stay safe. Um, so the first thing is like a lot of people don't end up there via their drug use. They end up at drug use because they became unhoused. Uh, but secondly, you know, fentanyl, I would say they're the biggest victims of it. You know, like they're not the biggest perpetrators of it. They're the biggest victims. A lot of them end up dying on the street um, after having a, an overdose and things like that. Um, and if they're dealing, a lot of it 
is for personal use. Like they're addicted, so they'll sell a little bit so that they can pay for their own. And it's like cyclical. Um, a lot of the dealers like come to the encampments to like, you know, sell them things um, because big dealers have houses. Like they can afford, again, people with money can afford a place to live. Like the the kingpins of the fennel world yeah. are not living in a tent, you know? Yeah. It might be a small time dealer who's dealing a little bit to pay for their own supply, but the big, the big kingpin of San Francisco is in one of those penthouses. It's not, you know, a tent in the tenderloin. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, duh, you know, yeah. like it's just the, the, the like narrative that these people are trying to sell us. Oh my gosh. You know that, Oh man. Like it's, it's just some of the stuff is like, so it's just so like, obviously not true. Like, you know, the idea that people are even saying that San Francisco is like run by like homeless people. There's like a co like a homeless person cabal or something. And it's like, don't you think if that were really true that like the first act would be like, Hey, let's get ourselves some housing. Like, yeah. it doesn't even make sense. Like, yeah, the the um the statement London Breed said like we're not going to be held hostage by the homeless industrial complex like that's what they're calling it the homeless industrial complex anymore. And it's like I can't believe you're trying to say that people living in tents like in squalor in your city have any organized power. Like I wish they did, you know very much arm the homeless like just you know like i it would be a dream that the homeless would be organized in la enough to like make politicians scared but it's very clear who the organized people in our cities are it's like the people who have the ear of these politicians the developers the landlords yeah and you know like people get so fucking pissed at me for handing needles to people like it makes them froth at the mouth like a lot of people if they see me with like supplies will be like good job may the lord bless you like good for you like as they're walking by some of them get really pissed and they're like these people don't work they have more money than we do like why are you you're, you're giving them stuff and it's gonna let them like make them stay out there longer just like someone's like flipped my cart before like you're you're giving them stuff and that's why they stay here like stop it as if they were like vermin you know that got fed uh you know like a bear population or something um and so I've dealt with like one-on-one -on -one hostility, but when they see the needles and the needle receptacle, I have one of those like big red like boxes yeah, or whatever. Like a sharps container. Yeah, I leave them at like different camps. Cause guess what? If you leave sharps containers at the camps, people use them and then needles don't end up anywhere. And I'm like, I'm the trash disposal system that they should have. Like that's I think like that's one thing that we always point out to people is a lot of the complaints people have of these camps are like structured and specifically made by the city like there's a lot of trash at camps it's like okay well the city should be putting dumpsters at them and picking up trash service like there's trash because there's no one picking up any trash yeah i make just, like bathrooms you know yeah exactly i hate seeing the like people are pooping on the streets it's like i'm i'm a long distance runner and you wouldn't believe the amount of times I've almost peed myself on a run in LA because there's no public bathrooms ever yeah. anywhere. There's like four public bathrooms in the entire city of LA that are run by our public health services. And then for the rest, you just have to like be a customer. So there's been times where I'm like running and like I'll buy a taco at El Pollo Loco to like use their bathroom. And sometimes they won't even let you in when you're on a house. So like 
a lot of businesses are not open to you. So, you know, the, you have these problems, needles on the ground, like poop on the street, like that, those are all public infrastructure failures. Yeah. They've, they've removed benches. So we can't even sit down anymore so that they don't lay it down there. They've removed public bathrooms so that they don't use the public bathrooms. And we've made our city so hostile to human life. And then we're complaining about these people and not, you know, existing. I make more trash than the average on house person does, but I have a neat little garbage truck that comes once a week to take it away. You know, like that's, um, that's how society should be ran. And while these people live outside, obviously we should get them inside. Um, part of the, the reason we have these complaints. And I honestly think it's purposeful. Like I think it serves politicians for people to see the waste on the street and the needles because then people get pissed and then they, justify the sweeps. Yeah. And it, you know, it supports like, you know, all the efforts to give more funding to the police, which the real estate developers love. And I mean, it's just like, there's just, there's an endless loop of like terrible capitalist things. Like it's, um, so, you know, I know we got to wrap up in a minute, but you know, like I'm imagining most people who are listening to this podcast and, and even probably most people in general, like do not want this to be happening. I, I definitely have interacted with like a lot of like horrible psychos, but I, I think that's actually a very small percentage of people, like for people who just want everyone to have housing, like what are some things that people can do to that and um, I'd say, first of all, get educated on social housing. Um, Out-of-market solutions are, are literally our only way out of this. Um, become familiar with them. There's a lot of different options. There's tenant co-ops, like there's, uh, you know, TOPA bills presented every year in California, uh, tenant option of purchase acts, uh, which would give tenants the right to like buy a building when their landlord's about to sell it. So then it would be permanently owned by tenants. Public housing. Um, you know, Section 8 vouchers should be funded better, even though they suck. Uh, there's a lot of different community options that you can look into. Uh, there's community land trusts in most cities. Um, and and being aware of where your money is going. I know no one likes going to city council meetings, but landlords show up. And, you know, you should show up every once in a while, too, as a tenant and tell them how much they suck. Um, get involved with your local tenants union. Um, Los Angeles has a great one, Law 2. Uh, they have chapters in most neighborhoods in L.A. And I know San Francisco and Oakland have, have great tenants unions. Yeah, we have a bunch here in New York, too. Yeah. New York, uh, really militant. Uh, they're all over. And if there's not one in your area, start one because there's a lot yeah. of tenants um, who unified uh, hold power, but individually, obviously, we don't. Yeah. Um, and follow your local mutual aid groups who are doing this work on the streets. Um, there's tons of them out here in LA. Uh, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Ktown for All, um, and come out and volunteer if you can. We're always looking for. Um, people to come help us distribute items and um, organize politically uh, to defend our unhoused neighbors. Um, And we'd really appreciate if you jumped in uh, because there's always a really good need. Thank you so much, Andrina. Um, And you're a great follow on Twitter. How can people find you? Um, I'm a house for all on Twitter with the number four. Uh, Really happy to be here. Uh, I'd talk your ear off about homelessness and the housing crisis anytime.
Oh yeah, it's just a super like super illuminating conversation. I learned a lot. And I'm also thinking like, you know, it's just, I mean, like some of the things that you're telling me here, it's really like, you know, it blows my mind. Like how can how can we be in a situation where people have the information about what's actually happening, you know, cause it's like this fucking propaganda from our politicians and stuff of like, Oh yeah, people are just refusing shelter. Like I, I think that there's, you know, it's obviously not the main problem, but one problem is like the amount of like incorrect information. Like how, how can we begin to uh, move to a place where people actually need to have the information about what's going on? I mean, sadly, I think people are going to run into it the more that they have loved ones that are housing insecure. Yeah. I know a lot of people are like trying to help their elderly parents right now and running into shocks. And I run into people that are on the streets for the first time that are like, where do I go to get a free apartment? Um, and, you know, I think it goes back to listening, make friends with your unhoused neighbors. Um if you live in an area where there's a lot of unhoused people, like you don't have to do anything special, like handing someone a sandwich and a water bottle when it's hot and just starting a conversation is really important. Don't let politicians feel like no one cares because that's what they want. Like they want yeah. the excuse to be the cruelest they can be to these people. And I always tell people like I, you know, using your privilege as being housed to advocate for these people is the only way they get any advocacy at the moment. Yeah. Um, and so I would just tell people plug in, like, don't look away. Like, I know it's so easy to look away and like very tempting because it's so horrible, but the looking away allows politicians to get away with the awfulest shit you could ever imagine. Um, so I beg you not to look away. And, you know, for those that can, like, I beg you to jump in the fight. Because at the end of the day, like, this is all of our fight. Like, we're all paying ridiculous amount of rates, rents. We all can't buy homes. Like, we are all going to have retiring parents who are not going to have any retirement funds. Like, this is a problem that's going to come knocking at people's door sooner or later. And the American dream has been long extinguished. And there's no social safety net to catch us. So, what are we going to do? That's kind of where we're at right now. Um yeah, I, I think right now is a great place to start. Plug in, get conscious, build community, um, including your own house neighbors, and um, see where you can get some units built. Well, yeah, in a in a in a non luxury condo way. <laughs> yeah, in a, yeah, definitely not in a penthouse way. And like, yeah, a no, I'm just affordable... kidding. No, it's just I said that because it's like this like rhetoric of like build, build, build you know, that's cool. Like I'm, I'm into building, but we should build houses that people can live in, that people are allowed to live in, you know? In gay space, luxury communist America, where I was the housing czar, we would immediately cease building anything other than public housing. Yes. <laughs> that would be the, the dream. Uh, you're not allowed to build literally anything until we get enough housing for everyone. And then we'll talk. Thank you so much, Angelina. It was super nice to meet you. And um, yeah, we'll th hopefully we'll, we'll talk again. Thank you so much. Of course. Anytime. Thank you, Kate. Thank you so much for listening to Reply, guys. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find us. The show is hosted by Kate Willett and me, Mohanna Delshaykhi. Our producer is Genevieve Garrity. 
Our theme song is performed by Emily Fremgen and written by Emily with Kate Willett. Our artwork is by Adrian Lobel. If you want to find us on Twitter, we are at Kate Willett with two L's and two T's, and I am at Mohanna Delshehi. And Twitter is where you can find our reply guys. They are always with us. Bernie, take us out. walking that ribbon of highway I saw above me that endless skyway I saw below me that golden valley this land was made for you and me this land is your land this land is mine